0: The Insurance Brokers Podcast is brought to you by Sarah Myaskoff of Boston Tullis.
1: Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myaskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business.
0: Good morning, Dave. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Insurance Brokers podcast. It's great to have you here.
2: Thank you very much. Good morning to you.
0: Good morning, Steve. Thank you also for joining us on the podcast this morning. It's fabulous to have you here.
1: Thanks. It's lovely to be here.
0: Do you want to just give us a bit of an overview about uh, who you are and and your role within uh, Miller?
1: Yeah, my name's Steve Cox. I'm head of the UK construction team at Miller's a relatively new team, Uh, I've only been here for the last three or four months. Uh, My experience is I've been in the insurance broking market for 40 years, uh, handling contractors, subcontractors and many project insurances, Um, I've also been uh, the insurance broker for a train operating company and indeed have worked for Network Rail on account.
0: Fabulous. Well, um, I think uh, I'm really looking forward to the expertise both of you have in uh, the conversation we're about to have. So, Dave, we're going to have quite a technical discussion today, which I'm quite excited about and have already learned a huge amount from you. I wonder if you would just uh, give us a quick overview about... Who you are uh, and what you do um, at Miller insurance and then we can crack on with the technical stuff
2: of course um, my name's Dave Carhill I'm the head of client development at Miller's construction practice I've been an insurance practitioner for over thirty years working for both um, clients in the construction industry and also for London market brokers I've been Miller I've been at Miller for about a year, just over a year, um, where we are developing a new retail um, construction practice
0: and that brings us to this particular topic which i 'm going to explain, and then you 're going to tell me if i 've got it right so exactly. one of the things that one of the things that is is happening uh, as I understand it is there's an awful lot of land running next to railway infrastructures that is being redeveloped uh, in a number of ways and that causes some quite complicated liability issues um, that there's a bit of a historical um, uh, movement across legal uh, case law and how it's been dealt with uh, in terms of claims um, and I think it is is—it's um, quite a niche area, but it's very, very relevant to the construction market and construction brokers. So I wonder if you could give us kind of the starting point, and we can have a bit of a legal uh, lesson as well in terms of the tort of negligence, et cetera.
2: Absolutely, no problem. So I think the starting point for this discussion really is about a uh, an incident, a loss that occurred back in 2005 where Tesco was having a new supermarket built at the uh, at Gerrards Cross in Buckinghamshire uh, and it crossed over the Chiltern Railway line that runs between Birmingham and Marylebone as well as other places the uh, supermarket car park was being built over the line and a tunnel was being created so that the line could continue to run underneath the car park Um, and uh, this collapsed, this tunnel collapsed onto the railway line Um, like I say in 2005 fortunately no one was hurt but there was a significant amount of damage um, and it also prevented the railway line from operating uh, for about, uh, well it was several months anyway
0: and it's quite critical to this, isn't it, that the 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 railway line was owned by Network Rail and Chiltern Railways, separate from that, but used the the infrastructure for their sort of business, I suppose. That's quite a critical part to this.
2: That's a really important part. Thanks for reminding me. So Network Rail owned the rail infrastructure, uh, but Chiltern Railways was the train operating company, and they have the right to use the... Infrastructure under a track access agreement. So, um, in common law or in uh, in the tort of negligence, liabilities exist normally where uh, one party causes a loss to a third party, and that loss is uh, foreseeable. And the test for so- foreseeability, the courts normally apply in um, in the talk of negligence is where there's either some form of damage or injury now in this case the damage had occurred to Network Rail's property but Chiltern Railways had suffered a significant loss of use or business interruption to their business uh, although none of their property, none of their rolling stock for example, had been damaged in the loss now Chiltern Railways were um, wise enough to foresee this potential situation and in advance of the loss they had requested uh, that Tesco provide an indemnity agreement whereby Tesco would be liable for any losses caused to Chiltern Railways arising out of the building project. So Chiltern Railway brought a claim under this indemnity agreement against um, Tesco And Tesco um, accepted that they were liable under the agreement and sought to recover the claim, the damages that they were obliged to make under the agreement They sought to recover them from their public liability insurers. The public liability insurance policy that they had taken out included a contractual liability provision and it was Tesco's argument that albeit this was not a tortious liability uh, solely a contractual liability they argued that the insurer was bound to uh, reimburse them by virtue of this contractual liability extension the insurer felt differently and the matter went to court and it was eventually decided on appeal that the insurer was not liable under the contractual liability extension, and that that particular policy provision only provided for contractual liabilities that were also um, coexistent in tort, so if there was a tortious or a, li- a liability in negligence or in common law for injury or damage, the contractual liability extension also indemnified for that, but only where there was this Uh, co-extensive liability in both tort and in contract so that claim was declined by the insurers and it set some waves out across the insurance market uh, particularly in the construction industry um, and the property development industry where these liabilities you know frequently exist If we fast forward to the current day you mentioned quite rightly earlier that there is a lot of property development going on adjacent to um, transport infrastructure particularly for Transport for London uh, where they've made a lot of their um, property sites available for residential development Um, but it's standard practice as well for network rail where you operate or you're intending to carry out construction activities close to railway infrastructure they insist that you provide an indemnity under what's called an asset protection agreement and this does very much the same thing that the agreement did between Chiltern Railways and Tesco it says any liability uh, uh, arising from any loss uh, arising from the project that's been carried out, the building work, whether the developer or the contractor has been negligent or not, um, whatever liability arises, then uh, that party must indemnify Network Rail for its losses.
0: And what we're really talking about here is if you are unaware of this type of um, sort of legal. Uh, uh, development for these type of projects um, and you are the uh, development party you're liable and you really want to be able to claim that back from your insurers and you won't be able to unless you are aware of this and have put the relevant uh, insurance product in place which does now exist as a result of these these cases
2: absolutely some of the liabilities that arise out of these agreements will be covered by normal third party liability insurance so If uh, something collapses onto the line or if there is a some type of physical damage loss however if it's what we call non-damage events uh, so there's no damage to network rails infrastructure um, or it's an obstruction or let's say um, the line cannot open because it's a dangerous situation even though the line is not technically speaking blocked then in those situations uh, in order to be indemnified, you would need to take out a different type of insurance, what we call contractual financial loss insurance, which has quite a limited marketplace. So your point is absolutely valid. First of all, you have to identify that there is an issue here, which not everyone will be able to do. And secondly, uh, you need to know that there is a specific product which is able to remedy that.
0: I think that's really helpful. So dave can i just sum up what i think you've told me um just because i think it's a really interesting topic but it's also um it brings in quite a lot of legal stuff uh and i think it's really important for those people working in these uh, uh on these projects either client or or brokers that they that they that this is you know forefront of the mind when they're looking at these risks so i think what you've told me is uh the way that you, long time ago, indemnify one of these type of losses where there is a project development next to a railway and there is some form of damage has traditionally been common law and we're looking at the tort of negligence. There's some limitations there because of uh, foreseeability and causation and generally common law doesn't uh, indemnify against pure economic loss, it is uh, where there is damage or industry, uh, sorry, injury. So um, the way that that kind of developed was to bring the indemnity into a contract whereby you're saying you have a contractual obligation to cover me for any losses that occur here. Uh, and the major case that happened there was this Tesco's Chiltern Railway. And, the, and the, the pivotal point here was that the damage was sustained by Network Rail, and the business interruption or the pure economic loss was su- sustained by Chiltern Railway. And the courts found for the insurers and said, you cannot, you, you're not liable to pay for this claim, which essentially meant that um, uh, uh, essentially meant, I suppose, that Tesco's had to pay out. Um, out of their own back pocket uh, because you cannot, um, these type of third party uh, uh, liability insurers only cover you where it extends from the tort of negligence. And in this case, that didn't happen. So what I'm thinking is, uh, these type of risks are really um, bespoke, I suppose, is the, the way you would look at it. Because I imagine if you're building a bridge over a, a railway or if you're just developing something that, I don't know, maybe is built on sand. I don't know. There's, there's lots of different risks. So how do you as the broker um, sort of go about problem finding and uh, risk assessing to be able to provide provide the information that the underwriter needs to make sure that this is watertight for that particular client? What sort of areas do you look at What's what's really important?
1: Um, yeah, well, the first place, obviously, we'd start is with the, the contract and the asset protection agreement that's in place between Network Rail and the uh, site that we're working for. We'd look into that, uh, check out the requirements of it. Um, as we've probably explained already, um, there are two aspects to this, the, the damage liability, damage that flows from a liability incident, um, and, oh, sorry, the liability that flows from a damage incident to the, the track and the um, users, uh, and the second, which is non-damage causing the track not to be available. Um, the, the damage aspect is covered by the standard third-party liability covers and the non-damaged part is what's uh, protected by the contractual financial loss policies that are now available in the market. Um, To pick an example we had a a building in South London being built uh, Sorry, had a building in South London which was next to an operational railway line where they were having to change the cladding and we looked at that project uh, found that they were subject to an asset protection agreement and that there was a an exposure to the rail line from non-damage incidents as well as from damage, uh, with the scaffolding that was going up around the outside of the building being particularly um, onerous in respect of a potential non-damage accident uh, affecting the railway line. If that scaffolding had become unsafe in any way, the trains wouldn't have been able to operate. Um, We collected information around that project, values, uh, period of risk and the um, vicinity of the um, the the building to the tracks, and we inv- we presented that to the insurers uh, that were available to us, which isn't very many, uh, and we obtained an indication of price to provide a liability protecting them from the non-damage as well as the damage aspects.
0: Is um, you've just touched on that that this this contractual liability insurance is quite a niche product. And as I understand it, there's not a huge amount of capacity out there, is that right?
1: No, it is a niche product with probably only two or three people who have the capability to lead it. And probably, again, only one of those is the sort of what we'd call a prime lead market at primary level um, for risks or for clients with whom they don't already have an existing connection. So, yes, a very small market. Capacity-wise, whilst the the damage aspect of uh, of liability um, or liability flowing from a damage incident might be several hundreds of millions, the uh, non-damage equivalent is far less. I've seen a placement with a total cover of 80 million, and I reckon we had approached every insurer that had the ability to underwrite it at that time.
0: Mm. So it's quite... um You really need to know your stuff when you're talking about this kind of uh, uh, risk.
1: Absolutely. Um, And you need to know that uh, whilst the Office of Road and Rail uh, suggests a limit of £155 is what needs to be put in place around that rail exposure, that actually you can't cover that full required limit in respect of non-damage contractual financial loss, but you can in respect of those damage incidents.
0: Um, What might be quite interesting uh, for me, because I'm learning a huge amount from you guys uh, today, so thank you, um, is the the, the sort of standard risks I can think of, and you've mentioned a a, a bridge falling down. I think in a previous conversation, Dave, you mentioned smoke. And can you give me some examples of the types of claims where this uh, has been really um, either missed or important to, to the longevity of that particular business?
1: So we've got some examples that have been given to us of uh, non-damage disruption that's been experienced. There's a railway station that had to be evacuated and trains ordered to stop when builders found an unexploded World War Two bomb in February 2019. Uh, trains have been delayed and cancelled after an exclusion zone was extended around air station again due to an unsafe hotel in August of 2018. Um, there's. King's Cross Station in London, which had to be closed after a fire at a nearby building site, raised concerns over four gas cylinders on the site that could explode. That was back in 2006. Uh, And there are a number of times where we've seen uh, unexploded ordnance turn up on building sites across, particularly in London, around uh, sites where rail has been impacted because of those discoveries and that can range from obviously unexploded ordnance that have been dropped from uh, German airplanes all the way through to just
2: grenades being discovered.
0: Wow, that's insane. They're classic
2: examples of cases where the developer or the contractor is not liable, hasn't done anything negligent in placing that those munitions of war there, they're just existing. But because they signed a legal agreement that makes them responsible for all incidents arising from the construction project, then they're liable under the by virtue of the um, contractual indemnity they've signed.
0: Wow, it's a minefield of of, <laughs> uh, of
2: exploded ordnance. Quite <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. Having not long ago done my uh, insurance law dip exam and coursework. Uh, it kind of rejigged my old world of, of, of legal. And I found this kind of thing really, really fascinating. Uh, I want to thank you both for coming on and um, having this conversation with me. If you're happy, um, I'd like to put your details in the show notes. So if anybody's got any further questions, uh, queries, interested in talking to you about this, you guys are obviously the experts in the area. So if you're happy, I'll do that.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah, it's fine.
0: Super. And uh, I just want to thank you very much.
2: Thank you very much for having us on. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's
1: episode. If you have enjoyed what you have heard, have any questions or feedback, please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you. If you would like further information on how Boston Tullis Group can support your business, or if you would like to join us on an episode, please do not hesitate to contact us.